You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 12, and I will jump right on in. Um, in verse 20, it says, Therefore, okay, and remember, he just gave this amazing discourse on all the heroes of faith and how they were faithful, and they didn't even you know, know Jesus, and yet they were so faithful of the, about the coming of God's promises and the coming of the, the Holy One of God, the Messiah. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, you know, um, I love it. You know, this, this, this idea, he says, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Um, uh, you know, a witness is, uh, marturos, which is where we get the word martyr from. Uh, and obviously martyr has a very different connotation than witness, but it is the word. And basically the, all the early, so many of the early witnesses of Jesus, which is what disciples were called because they witnessed the resurrection or they've witnessed the miracles of God that, that happened in their lives as they become Christians and they're called witnesses. And so many of these witnesses, the Marturos were, were killed for their faith. Later on, the word Marturos or martyr becomes really what we think of as somebody who dies for a cause. But, um, they are the witnesses of faith. And he says, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. And, um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of debate, you know, the, the most likely interpretation is that cloud of witnesses, the people that we read about in chapter 11, which is everybody from, from, uh, you know, Abraham to, to, uh, to, to the Maccabeans, you know, and so many great heroes and so many great things that were done. And, um, and that, that's the most likely, you know, who, what, who is that great cloud of witnesses? I'll tell you an alternative idea that's crazier and less likely, but, but very interesting is, is that because heaven is outside of the realm of time, that those witnesses might be the fr- our friends and family who have died faithful. And they may be cheering us on. It could actually even include us. We could be one of the witnesses cheering us on because if in the heavenly realm, there's no time when we die, we can actually look back and there's no back, but we look at our lives and we could be part of that crowd. You know, I could be up there going, come on, Robert, hang in there. You know, don't give up. Don't back down. Um, and you could be up there cheering yourself on. So who knows? But the most likely, either way, I mean, imagine that, that, that Noah and David and Abraham and, and, uh, you know, Joshua and everybody's cheering you on. Like, come on, hang in there and, and you can do it. And he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and that so easily entangles, right? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, you know, um, it's an interesting word. Uh, the easily entangles word in Greek is, is a uh, And it, and the word is, is actually a composite of two words, something that is easy and something that tangles or snares us. So it's, it's, it's basically, he's basically saying, 
you know, watch out for the traps of, of sin. Watch out. Don't let anything entangle you and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, right? So we throw off everything that hinders us, everything, you know, the sin that entangles us. When uh, my son was for many years, uh, played soccer. So he would train, he'd put these weights on. It was a weight vest that weighed about, about, it was about, I mean, it was pretty heavy. It was probably about 15, 20 pounds. And then he had five pound weights on his ankles and five pound weights on his arm. All in all, he's putting on about 40 pounds and he'd go running with that. But, and, and that would give him strength and endurance. But on game day, of course, he wasn't wearing any of those, right? In fact, sometimes he would even put them on and do a little run and then take them all off because all of a sudden he'd feel so light and like he could just fly, you know? And, and that's the same idea is get rid of what is weighing you down. What is tangling you? What sins are holding you back? You know, do you have secret sin that you're not telling anybody? Do you have, do you have, uh, do you have any sin, any, an addiction or anything that's, that's holding you down, that's keeping you back or a lie that you haven't dealt with. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Throw it off. Talk to somebody. Confess it to somebody. Just step out on faith. Be a man of faith. Be a woman of faith. You know, and 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 get rid of it. Don't let anything hold you back. And think about it. I mean, just take a minute to think, okay, is there anything holding back, holding me back from giving God my whole heart, from just throwing myself in hands and feet into the church or becoming a Christian or getting baptized or, or making a major change or, or, or busting through to a whole new level of Christianity of the faith. I, I, I totally believe there are levels of faith and levels of spirituality. And I say that because every once in a while I get a burst of, and I go to another level and it's usually a class or a, or a book I'm reading or just something events crystallized in my life. Right now it's happening. I feel like I've busted through another level of faith and spirituality. I am on fire for God. I mean, yesterday I had a quiet time that just blew my socks off. I mean, I was just living there meditating on the word of God. I started crying and I, and I just had this powerful time with God where I just felt so close to God, what C.S. Lewis used to call them the thin places, where you could almost feel, where heaven and earth were so close, you could sense God's presence and you could almost feel the heavenly realms. And I had a quiet time like that yesterday that was just like that. And all the things that I'm learning right now in, in my relationship with God, and, 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 and it, so we're being encouraged to do that. We're being encouraged to get rid of things, throw off everything that hinders. And he says, fixing your eyes on, well, even before that, he says, and let us run with perseverance. You know, um, you don't, you, you, you run a, a 50 yard dash or a hundred yard dash one way. You run a marathon a different way. In a marathon, you run with perseverance. You have a mindset of, I will not quit. I will not stop. Because you know that you're going to hit points where you feel like quitting, where you feel like stopping, because it's long. It's a long race. Whereas in a, in a hundred yard dash or, or 50 meter dash, you're just thinking, give it everything you got, right? And you're just going for it. But 
when you know it's a marathon, you don't give it everything you got right at the beginning. You've got, you give it everything you got for a long ways. And, and so you have to think that through. You have to have an attitude or a mindset of perseverance. And we've talked a lot about our Christian life. It's a journey, right? It's a, it's a marathon. For most of us, we will live this life for decades. It's possible Jesus could come back right away, but I mean, I've already been a Christian 38 years. He hasn't come back yet. And he, I'm, I'm resigned to he may not come back in my lifetime. And, and that's okay because more time is more people being saved. But he, it's, so he says, for the joy, he says, uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And, and, and obviously there's an idea here that there is a path that's marked out for us. It's that we're not just running over the hills and, you know, running wildly and aimlessly. We have a path that we're following. It's marked out for us. It's marked out by the Bible. It's marked out by the opportunities and the doors that God opens in our lives. But it is marked out. So, so we have to be aware of that. We've got to be praying about that. We've got to be listening to God and always looking for what is God? What doors is God opening up and what doors is he closing? So, so we run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And this is really an important idea here. Here's an important point that the author makes is it's not just, let's just think about good things. No, it's very specific. Actually, the, 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 the Greek word is like, is to fasten, is to, to tie something, to connect something that cannot be unconnected easily. So it's fasten your eyes. It's fix your eyes. It's, it's glue your eyes on Jesus, you know, so, so which, which is very much an intentional thing. It's a very purposeful thing to do is to think about Jesus in all situations. When something comes up during the day, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus to, I'm always looking at Jesus. I'm always thinking about him and, and trying to please him, trying to do what he would do, trying to be like him. It's a discipline of the mind and the heart. It's not something you just read about and then you walk off and, and forget and live your life. No, no, it's something that we are, we are fixed on it. We're, we're, we do, we do not forget it. You know, I think of, uh, Peter when he was walking on the water and looking at Jesus and then the wind and the waves started and he looked over at the waves and he started sinking, right? And, and, and fortunately Peter had the, the wisdom to call out to Jesus and reach out to Jesus again. And of course, Jesus brings him right back up, which is what we do when we're, when our eyes wander. And we start to sink. We need to fix them back on Jesus. Recalibrate our view, our perspective, our focus. But living a focused life on Jesus is very intentional. And it's radically different than the world. You know, I remember I had this, uh, I was in the fellowship. It was after a sermon I preached. And somebody walked up to me and said, do you really think we're that different than the rest of the religious world? You know, aren't, aren't, aren't we all just trying to follow Jesus? And, and I said, well, you might not be different. I don't know where you're at, or maybe you are different. I know that I'm very different from the religious world, 
because I am radically devoted to fixing my eyes on Jesus. Throughout every day of my life, I'm trying to be like Jesus. He's not somebody I visit on Sundays, which is where a lot of the religious world is. That every once in a while, and especially on holidays, they focus on Jesus. But that's not the call here. The call is to live our lives, to run our race, to travel our journey with our eyes fixed on Jesus. That we're always looking to him for guidance, for teaching, for leadership, for inspiration, for motivation, for for empowerment, for everything we need in our lives. That we're looking to him all the time. As St. Patrick said, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noon, Jesus in the afternoon, Jesus when I rise, Jesus when I go to bed, Jesus at night, Jesus in my dreams. That he just was like consumed with Jesus which is where I want to be. And that might sound, to some people that would sound crazy, but to me, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's when you're just, you're just cranking and you're loving it. And, and what does that do? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. It connects you to God. It, it fills your heart and your mind with thoughts of God and, and the spirit of God. So it's a big deal. And he says, he says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You know, the one who, tr- who blazed the trail, you know, pioneers. We think of the people who got in their wagons and went across the, the Americas, the United States and settled on the West Coast, right? They were the first of the American settlers, right? We'll stay away from all the political of what they did and the damage they caused, but, but just the idea of a pioneer is somebody who blazes a trail. He doesn't go where many have gone before. He, and Jesus was our trailblazer and we follow him. And he says the perfecter of faith. In other words, that the one who, who brought faith to its full development, to its full maturity. Again, perfecter, telios, not the, not the idea of, of flawless as in English, but the idea of fully developed, fully mature as in Greek, right? And, um, of faith for the joy set before him. The joy set before him because he knew what he was, what his goal was and what the, what the actual, what that would bring about. He said, it says he endured the cross, you know, the, the horrible way he was put to death, the agonizing process that he went through to die, scorning its shame. We oftentimes don't even talk about the, that part of the cross, the shame of dying on a cross, the shame of being hung on a tree, of being half naked up there, held, you know, lifted up so that everybody could see him and curse him and spit on him and all the things that happened, the shame that he went through. He scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, we know that the right side of God is the seat of honor, right? In a kingdom, the right side would be, would be somebody who's highly honored, who's held up before the kingdom and the king is sitting there and the right side to sit at the right of the king was a great thing. Actually, they would stand, you know, at the right of the king to sit at the right of the king not only means that it's a place of honor, but for someone incredibly special, but it also means that his work is done. It means that he's finished whatever he was doing. And now he sits and now he rests 
And now he is finished and now he glories in the work that he has done. And he says, for uh, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. You know, this is, this is something we just don't do very often to stop and think about something to contemplate. Um, it's, it's, it's something new that's coming to, I would say to everyday Christianity. It's, I was just talking about how I've grown and I'm reaching new levels in my faith. One of those things is learning to be contemplative, learning to be somebody who, who contemplates, who, who thinks, who meditates, who, who's able to be, um, mindful of things and mindful of the present. And this is what he, we're being called to do, to be contemplative, to think, to consider, to meditate on him who endured such opposition from sinners, to be able to meditate on Jesus, to be able to contemplate Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay. And we get back to the central message of the book of of Hebrews is think about Jesus, think on him, meditate on him, be mindful of him. And as you think of Jesus, so that, so that you will not grow weary because, hey, we grow weary. We all grow weary. We all get tired. You know, sometimes we just don't feel like doing what's right. We don't feel like being Christians or we don't feel like, like fighting for what's right. We feel like just hiding or giving in or whatever. He says, so think about Jesus, meditate on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. We don't want to be people who lose heart, who, who, who grow weary, who fall down, who faint. Some of the old translations say they faint. Um, Aristotle talked about the marathon runners, the racers, the, the, those in the race would reach the finish line and they would faint out of exhaustion. Like they poured everything out into what they have, but we don't want to faint. We don't want to lose heart in the middle of the race or even three quarters of the race. We don't want to stop until we cross that line. And then we can just fall into the arms of Jesus. You know, we can fall into heaven. We can fall into the rest that God has prepared for us. But not yet. Not yet. We're still in the time to struggle, to push through that. We're in the middle of the marathon. Don't quit. In the middle is the hardest part. Because at the beginning, you still have all the excitement of starting something new. It's the person who's baptized and they're so excited. It's the middle that's hard. Not even the end, because at the end, you see the ticker tape. You see the tape. You know you're about to cross the line and win the prize, you know, and be able to faint then and fall into the hands of Jesus and and be hugged and be welcomed home. And that's cool, but... It's the middle where we're just oh, pushing through and there's no end in sight and we're a long ways from the beginning. You know, that's that that's that's the heart of a champion. That's the heart of of faith. And and to get through that middle doldrums, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to see Jesus in front of you 
who's already run the race, who's already blazed the trail, our pioneer. So he concludes that of just don't stop, run that race. And this is the cap. This is the crown on the whole chapter of all those faithful heroes, right? And, um, and then he kind of switches gear a little bit, not a, not a huge shift. It's a small shift. And in a bit, we're going to have a big shift, a big shift in thought. And he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, you know, and, 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 you know, after he talked about all these people who suffered so greatly for their faith and went through so much, you know, making it very clear that we've not anywhere near that yet. And even reminded us of in the early days, we also suffered a lot when we started in he, he's saying, but right now in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's persecution, but it's not that bad yet. And he says, and have you for completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Right. And this is that, that idea of that the book is the word of encouragement. This is what this book is. Um, later on, uh, you know, it's be called again, the word of encouragement, but this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses the son. Everybody knows that image, a father talking to his son, someone who loves his son and is telling him instructions that he needs to know. And it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Okay. And he's weaving Psalm, Psalm 3, 11, 12, Psalm, Proverbs 4, 26. Again, I point out the mastery of scripture here that the writer had a an amazing knowledge of of the scriptures that could just weave together scriptures to make a point because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son you know and and he puts discipline or maybe what we would call hardship you know in a in a in a proper light in a proper setting when we go through hard times how we frame those hard times it's very important. The narrative that we give it or that we explain it or view it with is incredibly important. Um, the context of it is incredibly important. I've shared this story where um, there was a brother who was actually preaching and he was telling us about how about something that happened with his brother, his brother in the flesh and his family. He said he was they were he was looking at him and he saw him walk up to this car, grab a rock from the ground and smash the window. And he hit it. He had to hit it like three or four times and he hit the window and inside this woman with her kid and, and she's screaming and, and the window breaks and he grabs her and he yanks her out of the car and throws her to the ground. And then he reaches in and grabs the child and grabs the child. Okay. And she's screaming and, and, and we're all listening to this going, oh my gosh, what happened to this brother of his? Did he lose his mind? Was he on drugs? Was he angry? Was she his wife? And she was running away with his kid. All sorts of ideas pop up, right? And he says, oh, I didn't tell you. He was on the freeway and the woman had gotten in a car accident. The car was on fire. And so his brother ran over and he was rescuing her, right? So the context, the context totally changes 
our understanding of the situation, right? Suddenly, his brother goes from this evil man to a hero, right? Once you know the context, the context of our suffering, the context of our challenges is God is a loving father and allowing us to go through it because it's going to make us grow because it's going to make us stronger because it's it's going to make us identify what's most important and take a stance and walk by faith and 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 persevere and and all kinds of wonderful things come out of perseverance. I think we 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 live in a time and a place where we are so afraid of suffering. Anything hurts, we want to pill for it. Anything that's hard, we think something's wrong. Anything that causes us to suffer in any way, we think shouldn't be. It shouldn't exist. And we've labeled, not that anybody loves suffering, but it's a, it's incredibly important to understand the value of it, the importance of it, and what we can learn from it, and how we can grow, and and really have a proper view of hardship and suffering. And so this is what the writer of Hebrews is giving us a context. He says, understand this is your father who allows you to go through this. He says, endure hardship, verse seven, as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Then you are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for that. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while, but they, they, while as they thought best, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We, we, he, he's, he's helping us to have context to understand that sometimes when we go through hardship, it's just God disciplines. He's allowing us to go through this because he loves us, because he cares about us. And he knows this will help us to become holy. This will help us to understand the more important things. And to even understand that, I think we have to understand <clears throat> that our lives are like that. They go so fast. And heaven is eternal. And so whatever we need to go through during that time period is so worth if it ensures us making it to heaven. Even if it's incredibly painful. Even if it's overwhelmingly painful. If it purifies us. If it strengthens us. if it gives, And we understand that God is good, that God rewards those who are faithful to him. And we understand that God is watching. Then even suffering can be redemptive. Suffering can have value in our life. If we don't believe in God, if we don't think that God is good, if we don't see the hand of God moving, then suffering is horrible and we can become bitter and we can become angry and we can walk away out of that bitterness and angry. Why did I have to go through this? Why am I alone? Why am I broke? 
Why am I suffering? Why do I have this sickness? Why did my loved one die? Why did the person I care about? Why did the world, why is the world suffering? Why is that? And, and we can get caught up in that and become bitter and angry. But if we understand the context of suffering and the value of it, and if we can have a spiritual mindset about it, to understand that in that short flash, you know, the Bible says your life is but a mist and it goes and it's over. And, and it's just like that. We're born and we die. If we understand that that flash, what happens in that flash can determine what happens for eternity, then it's like, put me whatever I got to go through to make it through this, to make it all the way. Now, I know that's a very spiritual perspective, but that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, God is the God is the father who loves you. So what you go through, take it as discipline, take it as hardship. That's redemptive. That will actually help us. And later on, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that's the key right there. That's what I'm talking about is understanding the value of suffering and letting it train you, train you to pray, train you to lean on God, train you to value every moment of your life, train you to value every moment you have with others. You know, it's when somebody is dying that suddenly we realize how valuable that relationship is. And in that moment, we achieve what we really should have achieved long ago. The understanding the value of our relationships, but, but many times, many, many times we don't understand until the hardship comes until the suffering comes until the difficulties come. And so the warning is just be trained by it, understand its purpose, understand that there's something to learn and to grow and that makes us holier because of this. I've been through a lot. I've buried a lot of people I love very deeply, including my parents, including my brother, including so many others that I cared about and that were heroes to me. I've seen suffering a lot. I've seen it all over the world. And I've also seen how it can make people purer and holier. It can make others that are around it rise up and get on their knees and pray and rise up to be more than they would have been without it. And how so many people, it's, you know, I've been on an airplane where we suddenly dropped. I don't know how much, but we dropped a lot. It was scary. We dropped and the trays went up and people spilled things all over. And, and, and I looked around and there were so many people praying. I've never seen that many people in a public place praying. And I thought to myself, I bet even the atheists are praying right now, just in case, because the thought of death, the reality that I could die, the reality of the fact that I'm in this little tin can, you know, 40,000 feet up in the air and I could die like that. They suddenly turn to God and they're praying to him. I bet there were people praying that hadn't prayed in 20 years. They were praying then because suffering, the fear of death, hardship drives us to God. And then he says, verse 12, therefore, again, the therefore, and you always got to know what it's there for. Right. Therefore, because of everything we're talking about, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. 
That means it's in our power to do that. And we know that. We don't have to be weak. I realize this about being a Christian. It just makes no sense to be weak. It just doesn't. And yet I know there are many weak Christians. Not very rooted in the word of God. Not very strong in their walk with God. Not caught up in the love of God. Just hanging in there. Hanging in there is better than leaving, that's for sure. But you can't hang in there very long. At some point, if you're hanging in there, you have to decide to get strong. You have to decide to do one or the other, leave or get strong. And leaving is a bad idea. Getting strong is a great idea. And that's what he's saying. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. If you know that spiritually... You're pretty weak. I mean, would you be, you know, there, there used to be these old cartoons in the back of magazines and comic books. This guy is super, super skinny at the beach and some guy comes and kicks sand on him and, and, um, you know, he can't do anything about it because he's this little weakling. And so he goes to the gym and he works out and he works out and he goes back to the beach all buffed out, you know, and I don't even remember. I think he clobbers the guy or something, but anyways, nobody's kicking sand on him anymore. And it's a story, it's a stupid little story, but it's about, hey, you could control this. You don't have to be the skinny little frail guy. You can go to the gym and you can work out and you can get strong. What's this? It's this exactly what he's saying here. There's no reason to be spiritually weak. We have a God who will strengthen us if you'll turn to him. We have the Bible that will make us stronger if we read it. But we have to make a decision to be strong. And he says, make level paths for your feet. You know, if you're going to run, you don't want to be running on a, on a bumpy road. You want to, you want to, um, make level paths. You want to get the rocks out of the way. You want to fill in the holes. You want to, you want to get things that are going to cause you to trip things that easily entangle out of your way. Get rid of it. You don't need it. If, 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 if your, if your smartphone is causing you to look at pornography, Get rid of your smartphone. I'd rather have a dumb phone and make it to heaven than have a smartphone and not make it to heaven. If you, if, if you, if your laptop is causing you to fall into looking at pornography at night, get rid of it. Well, what do you mean? Everybody needs a laptop. Well, give it to your wife or give it to your roommate and tell them I can't have this after 10 o'clock at night because generally people don't do that kind of stuff in the day. They do it when they're staying up late at night. Or if you're, if you're drinking more than you should as a Christian, but you're hanging out with your friends at work or you're going to places where people drink, get away from there. I mean, do whatever you have to do. I remember this classic story. A coach walked into the locker room of his basketball team and he said, everybody gather around, everybody gather around. And he had a box and um, he said, gather around the table. And there was a table there and they're all standing around the table in the locker room. And he takes the top off the box and dumps it. And it was full of snakes. And everybody yelled and jumped back and took off, you know. And then he called him back and he said, I want you to think about drugs just like this. This is what I want you to do when somebody offers drugs. And the point was well made. That just get rid of anything that that is going to mess you up and keep you from your real goal. So that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed so that even those who've been hindered by persecution or suffering or hardship or whatever, that they can be healed and that, and, and, 
and not be disabled, but be healed by this, by their own actions, by on their own decisions. We can find healing. We can find strength. We can find courage. We can find everything we need to be successful in a godly life. There's no need to walk around beaten down and weak. And then he gives one of the last warnings, not the last, but we're wrapping up warnings here. And he says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So he says, you know, get, get, get right with everybody around you. Make every effort. You know, you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do. And you can make every effort. Now, if they don't want to be at peace with you, that's on them. But you have a clear conscience. You do everything you can to be at peace. Because if you're not at peace with others, you're not going to make it. You're not holy and you're not going to make it. But you have to get resolved with the people around you. If you've got disputes, if you've got anger between you, you know, you do everything you can. Again, that doesn't mean you're going to make everybody happy and everything's going to get resolved. But you've made your efforts, not just an effort, but every effort. And he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. You know, don't, sometimes people, they sin and they think I can't come back or I can't change or I won't make it to heaven because I've got issues. No, no, no. You, you don't want to fall short of the grace of God. You want to, you want to let God forgive you. And let God's grace reward you even and help you get strong. If you're hiding because you messed up, you know, think, I think about, you know, Jesus restoring Peter. He told Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. He said, but you will come back. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And, you know, Jesus didn't stop loving Peter because he knew he was going to deny him. And of course he did. He denied him three times. And the powerful moment, the third time he swears that he doesn't even know Jesus is exactly when Jesus was coming out and their eyes locked on each other. Can you imagine what Peter felt? And But Peter, thank God, Peter did not quit. And later on, he was restored to the fellowship by Jesus himself. And that's that whole scene at the end of John when he says, you know, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And, and it's a beautiful scene, but, but you gotta make sure that people repent and come back. That people understand, look, everybody blows it at times. So there's no judgment here. You messed up. Okay. You messed up. Confess it. Repent. Guess what? I'm, I've messed up too. There's nobody in the church that hasn't messed up before at some point in their lives. So he says, make sure no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And, you know, that's the other side. That's the flip side of this coin is, is don't be somebody who quietly becomes bitter, who becomes angry, becomes critical of the church and critical of leaders and critical of everybody. And, and, and they see the leaders' weaknesses and faults. They see people's weaknesses and faults and they judge them. And the very thing that they're critical of is what they practice, right? Is what they do. They become judgmental and negative. And oftentimes that's what they're afraid somebody did to them. And, and they turn around and do it right back to others. And he says, be careful. Don't let anybody become like this in the fellowship. 
because they will defile many. Their negativity, their criticalness will affect the people around them. And I can tell you right now, almost always, it's because somebody hasn't dealt with pain or suffering correctly. They haven't put it in the right context. They haven't thought of it as God watching and God knowing. They, they have, they have delayed that and they went right to bitterness. As I've said many times, pain and suffering will make you better or bitter. It all depends on how you process it. It all depends on the context that you look at it through. And there are wonderful people in my ministry right here in Metro. Amazing people because they have suffered, but they have remained faithful and been aware of God's presence and have processed it properly. But there are also some people who struggle with bitterness a lot because they have not kept in mind that God is here and that God is good. And they, they're always wrestling with their hearts with bitterness. And some even, there's even a few who have given into it and are bitter roots. And if they don't change, they're going to have to be weeded out. And so we have to make sure that's our, that's our charge. He says, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau for who for a, a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he could, he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. And then, and then the final warning is, he says, don't be like Esau, who, cause he was hungry, he sold his inheritance for a stupid meal because he was hungry. Don't be somebody because you have a carnal need, because you crave some sin, because you want something stupid. That you give up your spot in heaven, your reward, your rest, your, your compensation for the years of denying yourself and, and, and following Jesus, even when it made you suffer, even when it was difficult. Don't give all that up, your spot in heaven for some stupid sin. It's not worth it. Again, remember your life like that and heaven forever. So, don't give in to something stupid and lose this wonderful reward we have. Don't make Esau's mistake. And no matter how much he tried to change back, he could not, even though he sought it with tears. Don't let yourself be one of those weeping and gnashing that Jesus warned about. But stay faithful, persevere, endure the hardship, process it, spiritually with God in mind so that it only makes us better, not bitter. So, and that's the end. And then he shifts gears and begins to wrap up the book. So we'll stop there. Thank you for being with us. I hope this is helpful to your heart. I know it's been to mine and I know it's every time I study this, I am blown away and so inspired by this. And I hope it helps you too. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 